What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. We are on episode 47, and Dimitri and I are joined by Logan Martz from Danville, Pennsylvania. And Logan's on, and he shares about his 2020 Archery PA public land buck, which was a complete hammer. Uh, I'm really excited that he came on and talked about not only that story, but also how he got into hunting and how he's transitioned from hunting his own private property uh, to just solely uh, diving into the public land stuff. He talks about his scouting tactics uh, and so much more uh, is into this one and obviously his 2020 archery buck. So enjoy this episode. Thank you everybody for your support. Till next time, Antler Up. A big thank you to all of you uh, for your continued support, especially thank you to all of our amazing partners. Be sure to check them out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. While you're there, check out our store. We have a Black Friday sale going on. We're 15% off all our hats. We have some other new merch dropped as well. We have limited quantities of everything. Uh, also, use the code ANTLERUP. You'll get free shipping. So thank you just so much for all your support. Enjoy the holiday season with you and your family over this Thanksgiving. Be safe. Stay healthy. Uh, good luck to all the PA hunters hitting uh, the woods this upcoming weekend for for the rifle season. Be safe and uh, enjoy the episode. Antler up. Now, now, do you think your your mom's perspective of hunting has changed now that she's maybe seen you? You know the process you go through, and then maybe you harvesting an animal and then using that for your own food consumption. Do you think that's changed for her at all that to kind of see, you know, why you do it and, and how that benefits you now that you've kind of been hunting and, and got a few deer uh, under your belt? Yeah. Um, so my dad, he he's a hunter himself. Um, he kind of got me into the sport. He took me out my first time and uh, and she is mainly she mainly has the problems with hunting and shooting doe. Um, that's her biggest problem because of the mom mentality and having fun and things like that. That's her biggest problem. Um, any deer I've ever killed, I mean, I have a wall in my room, but, uh, she never like looks at it or, or looks at like pictures or anything like that. And, uh, I show her trail camera pictures and stuff and things like that. And she's all right with that. And she's kind of softening up to the idea because she knows can't really change me at this point and it's what i like to do <laughs> yeah absolutely well dude I, what i really liked about what you brought up in that first part of the of the answer was the you know finding your own niche finding what works for you because that was something that dimitri and i always talked about you know especially when we would listen to podcasts and it's like man that doesn't really pertain to us because of where we're hunting how we're hunting uh what what kind of terrain we're hunting and, uh, you know, that's, what's pr pretty nice about talking to an, an individual like yourself where, you know, you are central PA, you know what I mean? You are mm -hmm. in that area of, of kind of what we are uh, dealing with, you know, whether you're private or public, um, you know, and I know too, I want to touch upon that because you and I had that conversation before this season even started what through messaging on Instagram and stuff. But that's something where, man, for me personally, I've really had to come to grips and like, like had a really big uh like door slam in my face kind of a moment because you know we were i'm a teacher and being remote for the first couple of weeks of school i was like oh man if we're going to continue this i'm going to be able to hunt i'm going to be able to do this and do that and that was it's been the total opposite like i'm i'm struggling because our school day ends at 3 40 
And mm-hmm. so by the time I'm out the door and I'm doing something, I'm, I may not pull into my house until four twenty-five, depending on traffic. Uh, and then that leaves me with hurry up and get changed and go out the door. And I'm, you know, it gives me plenty of time of having that, that, that last hour and stuff. But at the same time, it's, it's, it, it's been troubling. So that Saturday weekend warrior has been our kind of key moment again this year. And, and uh, so like you said, it, it, things change and, you know, like you it's just something that we all have to adjust and, and be adaptable. And that's something where I think hopefully we, we will find that coming up here soon this week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, how many days, go ahead. how many days a week do you typically get out or, or sits or, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Well, for me, before I got the job that I'm at currently, I was basically, it was just Saturday sits, um, morning and evening. And then I would take a couple of days off in the rut, uh, mm-hmm. to allow myself some more time to hunt. And that was basically it. Now with my new job, I'm able to maybe once or twice, it's a little harder when, when you have a family, but get out during the week. So, you know, I'm talking probably two, two days to hunt, maybe three on a, on a good week right now. Yeah. And I'm kind of in that same boat. I mean, like I said, this week we, we have something different as far as for teaching, like we have in service days, Thursday, Friday, and they're, they're mainly remote and my schedule is kind of allowing me to go out. So I'll be able to, to do spend time in the woods those days. Um, but in reality, like if, if we were normal going into school, like having service days, again, those days would, would, I would be in school. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, it, it's been tough. I, you know, like same thing with Dimitri, I'll take a couple days, um, you know, for, for the rut and kind of, which is hard too, because you look at it and go, okay, when's the best time. And we looked at it this year and it seems to be with that Sunday, uh, of archery, you know, I'm planning that like Friday, Monday, just because of having like four, four straight days. You know, if I could get out Wednesday night, you know, there's another half night and then, you know, all day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So that's kind of the, the game plan of putting your eggs in that basket. And then, you know, you, you might have a lucky day here or there or an evening. Um, but like Dimitri said, it's three days is, is a fantastic week that you could get out. And, and again, those two of those three are going to be only for two hours, you know, um, you know, you add them up for both You're less than four hours probably. Yeah. yeah. And I've done that where you only have like an hour or two in the evening and you try to sneak into a spot and then deer are already up moving. You just blow the area out <laughs> like behind movement by a little bit. I've done that before. It's, uh, it's tough. Oh man, dude, it's real tough. Well, that's what even Friday I got out after work and, but it was so dead and quiet out there. And I was trying to had a pretty far walk through the woods to get where I wanted to be. And, and the leaves were just so crunchy. So I was kind of torn between, do I go quickly and, and make tons of noise and, and get up, uh, set up in time or do I tiptoe and only get like the last hour? So, you know, it makes it challenging, especially with daylight getting shorter and shorter every day. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, dude, talk a little bit about the, um, your whole process of this summer. Cause I know like you talked about you, you have the private land and you were trying to challenge yourself about the public and, you know, talk a little bit about that scenario and, and, you know, where, where are you right now as far as, uh, you know, wh- where you're at as a hunter? Okay. Um, so I, I've been, my parents, I'm lucky enough and privileged enough, um, that my parents are here 
in Danville and just down the road from that, we own a farm, uh, which we lease out and that's about 500 acres. And yet, I don't know if you want to call it stupid or what, but, uh, I chose, um, last year I killed my buck on public land and this year I killed my buck on public land. Um, and the reason, I guess, if you had, if I had to decide why I, I've done that, um, and it was kind of before, I think the hunting public has, and Dan Infault and those guys have kind of pushed the hunting, the hunting, uh, public land thing. And people are becoming more aware of the opportunities there and the caliber, caliber of deer. But, um, I'd say when I started getting more into hunting, um, I, I wanted to like learn and grow as a hunter. Um, the farm offers quality deer. I mean, you, we'd have a handful of three and a half year olds every year going through that place during a rut at some point. Um, there, I killed, basically killed my two bucks over there with the archery in the same, almost the exact same tree, almost year after year. I think I killed my first buck on the lease in, which was a half rack, but he was at least three and a half, um, in 2016 and then 2017, um, I, was seeing deer and bucks in that same spot but it just seemed like other guys on lease were hunting that area a little bit more that year and i had to ask permission on one of our neighbors um to see just off of our property um if i could hunt that because i just feel it was a little less pressured and i killed a buck then 2017 and then 2018 i had a, a chance um, with a buck in that same exact tree in that same pinch. And the way that worked out, um, just for in case anybody else has this on their property or something similar, there's two big blocks of timber. And then there was a field on the back side we didn't own. And then a field on the front side. And it kind of pinched down to about 200 yards there. And there was also like a little patch of pines in that pinch. And just, I mean, it can work on in topography features as well as like a funnel basically and they'd work that inside corner to get from one piece to the other and you could and other people killed deer in that hollow as well but you could pretty much sit that during the rut and it would be expected that you have a shot at like a nice buck every year and i was just kind of getting a little complacent i felt like i was getting complacent and wasn't like growing as a hunter and i wanted to get better as a hunter just for my personal satisfaction, I guess, and the challenge and things like that, um, because it was kind of just playing a waiting game till that time occurred that those bucks would be moving through there. Um, and it was either a hit or miss that they happened to walk by that day. You got one. If not, well, that was it. There wasn't much scouting and planning to it once I figured out how like deadly that spot was. Um, so 2019, um, well, I guess 2018, I started to scout public a little bit um, after that season. I didn't shoot a buck in that season, but I had an encounter with one that was probably, I think one of the guys on the lease killed one, but he was low 140s. Um, but after that, uh, I went to public, went to actually about three or four different tracks of public land and put a couple days in at each. Um, in the off season, trying to figure out which one I liked the most. 
um, and I crossed a couple off. Wasn't much sign, or I felt like I had too much um, ease of access. And I eventually stumbled onto the one I primarily hunt now. And I do like big timber tracks and, and mountainous um, terrain over, you know, ag and such like that. Um, so 2019, I hunted the beginning of that season, private land. And it was, I think Halloween was around that time when I made my first hunt over there. It was on a backside of a community scrape, um, which I had cameras over there, a few, not many. I now run a total of 10. But it was a ridgetop, doe bedding on the ridgetop, thick laurel, mountain laurel, um, oaks. But just the whole ridgetop is basically doe bedding. And on the backside, there was a community scrape that I had a camera on and found uh, scouting the year prior. And then past that, once you get on the ridge, like up on that ridge, it opens up in the back and it's just like a big white oak flat. Um, so I made my first sit there in uh, 2019 around Halloween and I had um, two bucks and two does come by me. Uh, that was my first morning sit. And um, the one was a, a pretty nice year. I actually ended up getting on camera um, an eight pointer. I don't know exactly on the score, but a pretty decent one. I, I, I was going to try shooting, um, but the does busted me because they came in downwind of me a little bit just behind me. I mean, he was in within 30 yards of me. I just, his doe picked me out before I could uh, make the shot. So then the next weekend, so I scouted a little bit around there in that area, pulled that card, that camera that was on that community scrape. I didn't actually have that buck on the camera, and that's one thing I want to get into later. Um, and touch on but that next week I went up there since I saw those two buck I'm like I'm sure they'll still be checking those does out in that area I didn't really blow blow that area out too much but I moved a couple hundred yards to the left um, between two um, uh, what would you call them community rubs um, what it signposts there we go so between two signposts um, that were spaced out about 100 yards and there was a trail kind of a faint trail traveling the general direction between them and it was kind of downwind of doe bedding just on the leeward side and I set up there that next uh, beginning of November I think it was November 2nd and I bumped two doe going in that morning and pretty much within the first hour uh, I had an eight pointer come in two and a half year old I think um, that came into like 10 yards and I shot him just because he's typically, I usually pass up two and a half year olds, but uh, he was just so close in my first public land deer and I was just stoked to shoot him. Well, he was a uh, beautiful buck too. Yeah. Yeah. Nice symmetrical eight pointer. Yeah. Um, so that was, that whole thing was pretty fun. And I had a guy come over and we, we packed him out. <laughs> he was in there a ways. Um, so then this year came around as far as scouting goes, I guess I'll start in the summer. Well, uh, before, way- before we get into 2020, I have a couple questions, you know, going into your thought process. Um, 
what was your thought process when you started scouting public land um, back in 2018? Now, how did you go about that? Is there a certain area you wanted to focus on? Is there a terrain that you kind of had your eye on? Were you looking at maps? Was it an area maybe that your friends friends were already hunting? How did you go about that kind of learning the area as far as public land? Um, so as far as picking out a place, I was just looking for something that wasn't small. Um, uh, what would I say? I don't know what the minimum acreage was, but like over a thousand acres, something, something big, um, that you can get away from people if you need to. Cause all I ever heard about in Pennsylvania is how many people are hunting it and that there's so much pressure all the time. And like, I just needed like and you hear on podcasts you need some water to separate people hills um you know maybe vegetation that's so thick and or briars that people don't want to go in or maybe there's not trees that people can hunt in just i was looking for mainly big tracks that were relatively within driving distance of where i live um so there wasn't really much thought into which one to start um i walked about four different bigger tracks around here um i gave each about three four days about i'd say about three days um just looking for sign what buck sign i saw mainly um if i was seeing like if it's a lot of deer tracks or beds or just like deer numbers in general that's what i was kind of looking for um now, were you, were you scouting these areas maybe like after the season in January, February, March, or was this maybe, you know, before 2018, before the season? When, when were you scouting these areas? This was uh, after the 2018 season. So winter, I mean, there's snow on the ground a couple of the times into that real early spring, I might say. I didn't really scout in once it got green up. Um, I kind of stopped then. It was just, I just felt like it would be tougher to see sign at that point. Um, and that could have been a, and I could have walked by good, good spots and good tracks. And I'm not saying that because I, I said, no, they aren't good enough for me to like put some time into, um, that they aren't good. Uh, I mean, cause I even marked pins on them and, and I did find some sign and big rubs, but, uh, the one just, you ever walk into a spot, I guess you could say, and you're like, this kind of feels right. Like maybe I should hunt here. Just oh, yeah. subconscious talking to you that this is like the right place. I kind of got that um, on none of the other tracks, but the one I may primarily hunt now. And I was like, this can hold some big deer. There's some big deer sign here. There's, there's doe beds. There's, there's, um, and there's like deer shit around and tracks and there's feeding sign like stuff was happening there and I just felt like there could be some big deer on you, you kind of went into that 2019 season you know you, you put a pretty nice buck down so you kind of got your feet wet as far as public ground so rolling into the 2020 season you know what was your f- thought process starting probably maybe in that March or April into summer thinking about putting some trail cameras up. Okay. So I'll start actually in partially 2019. 2019, um, 
as far as trail cameras go, I didn't, I only checked like one during 2019. Then I checked them. I pulled all the cameras right before rifle season in 2019. Um, had, you know, some nice bucks. Maybe a t- uh, there was like a 10 pointer on off the top of my head. That was probably three and a half, four and a half. Um, he was in velvet. Um, I had another, my target buck this year, he was on a camera that early part of November, um, working, uh, near a doe bedding area, uh, like on a faint transition line. Um, he showed, he was on there. And so then post season after 2019 closed down, I, I realized like that this place had some big deer on it. And so then I took my cameras off all off of private and put them over there. And I found some really good deer that made it through the season. And I actually followed up with two of them that I know of, maybe three from that postseason scouting, running cameras. And, you know, since that 2019 season, um, like from 2019 till the start of this season, I probably put on close to 100 to 150 miles on my shoes and I'm, and I'm not lying about that number and that's partially going to and from cameras it's not like just strictly scouting uh, but shed hunting scouting um, I've put in a lot of time so this summer um, I had 10 cameras like I said and the way I went through um, placing them and I, I don't really get the whole velvet um, game yet. I'm still learning that, especially in the big timber country. I just don't have it down. Um, I think this year I'm going to try focusing on uh, clear cuts a little bit more and younger vegetation instead of um, I was trying to use creeks to my advantage. Um, the only spot I did pick up a nice year was in a clear cut this summer. Um, and also another buck from late season. He just happened to be going through, I think, once um, this summer. But as far as trail camera tactics go, I for time efficiency, I'd uh, I'd so I had ten, and I'd break it up into five and five um, because you can spend a lot of time in big woods walking from one camera to the next. Maybe you know that from experience. I don't know, um, but it just it takes up a lot of time. So I was grouping them in sets of five and I'd cluster cameras in an area and leave them out two weeks and then rotate them. So let's say in a month, week one, I put all five out at one spot. Um, week two, I put the other five out at one spot and then I go back to those cameras I put out week one and check them and move them week three. And then I'd go back to the cameras I put out week two and check and move those cameras in week four. And I just keep going through that rotation, trying to locate bucks in velvet. Not really, even if I had a shooter on a camera, I'd still move those cameras uh, because I just felt like I wouldn't be following that deer all the way up into the beginning of October. I just haven't seen that very much, even um, from my prior knowledge on private land and not too much uh, on public land. They tend to move someplace so I was just trying to see what inventory I might bump into later in the season or rotate cameras back around to those places where I had shooters and closer to opening day or the opening week seeing if they were still there 
Um, so then leading up into the season, uh, about a week prior I, to the opener, I only had two shooters over the, over the summer. Um, but the week prior to the opener, I moved cameras to uh, different locations, some like on entry and exit routes to go bedding. Some were in a white oak bottom. Others were just on community scrapes. And some others were near where I was hoping to pick up a target buck, which I actually did pick up just uh, just pretty recently on a camera. But I kind of spread them all out right before the week prior to opening day. And then the evening before opening day, uh, so that Friday before, I went out and checked some cameras and didn't really find too much. Um, some were already left out, but I think I had two shooters back in like the middle of September, but nothing really recent that I could work with going into opening week or maybe even the second week. Um, moving forward, go ahead. Now with your, with your cameras, you know, you, you said you didn't have a lot of Intel as far as close to the season. Now, mm-hmm. if that Intel is not there, what is your thought process of when opening day is coming up of, of what you're going to hunt and, and what your strategy for that first day is going to be? Are you just kind of picking one of your, your spots that you feel is going to be good based off the wind? Or is there just something with pictures maybe prior to that time that you saw that, that makes you pick that spot? Um, so that's one thing I wanted to definitely change about this season. Uh, just on private, on years past, kind of like what I was talking about was just sitting that same spot um, every year during the rut on private. I was just kind of hoping a buck would walk by. Um, this year, I just planned on going into the season, not ever sitting, hoping that I'd, a deer would show up, like just expecting something would come to me. Um, so going into that opening weekend, I actually, that opening Saturday, I didn't hunt public at all. Um, I hunted private here on our farm for does because we have a bunch of does. Um, there was some coming out on the edge of a, like a soybean field, and I sat on the ground, uh, tucked up into some weeds. I didn't get a doe, but she was close uh, within range, but she spotted me trying to get a yardage on her. Um, so that was that first Saturday. I think the second Saturday, um or even during that week i forget i made another run over to public um checking some new cameras that i put out just prior to the opener um seeing if anything was there again there wasn't um so now and and i have these kind of like spaced out i wasn't really moving cameras too much they're just kind of like spaced out at different areas that i kind of feel are should be good at some point like during the rut because there was postseason signs showed that there's definitely bucks using this area there's big rub there's doe bedding here um, maybe a buck bedding it here earlier so i just checked those cameras and i was comfortable walking into doe bedding areas and bedding areas like every other week um I, i'd say that's a comfortable span of not as long as you're not walking in the same bedding areas like multiple times a week i mean deer can handle i think can handle some human pressure i mean people just walk around to hunt um it's not like human odor is totally foreign to them um 
but so this whole week working into this, um, the day that I hunted for my deer, I think it was the 10th. I hunted on public, um, in an area just to put out a camera. I hunted, that was my first time. I think I hunted on public this year, uh, that Saturday. And it was only just to put out a camera for that target buck again. Um, but it, it, I only got in there like an hour and didn't see anything. So I've been in this whole time, I've been canceling off in my head. Every time I get see pictures of, you know, little bucks, does, um, I kind of ask like, why are they here right now? Why are they using this area? And like what time of day they're using it and things like that. So I was canceling off the one ridge I looked at that was really hot with a lot of deer, does, small bucks leading into the season. There was no shooters on it though. And, and there was standing corn on the nearest ag field that kind of worked in coordination with that ridge top. And they cut that cornfield, the closest cornfield for silage. So it's not like regular cutting corn and there's corn on the ground potentially. Like there's nothing there in that field anymore. So I think that's why that one ridge turned off. So then, and, so then here comes the 17th when I killed my buck. I crossed off a couple other doe bedding areas because there was nothing there. Um, but the, how do we want to say that? So I was looking at the surrounding ag fields and seeing what was in those fields, whether they were standing or not, because I noticed that ridge just turned off. It could have been pressure. I could be wrong, but because it, it wasn't that ridge isn't that far from access. Um, but I looked at nearest ag fields, where I've been checking ridge tops and seeing what sign is or isn't there. So it's just been like a process of elimination on which ridges are good and which aren't. Right. And why aren't they good? And it's too early for doe bedding areas. Like, I know the does are in some of those, like I have them on camera a lot, a lot of does, and it's going to be those spots, even though they weren't good then, are going to be good in these upcoming weeks for right, sure. Right. Um, it was just kind of a process of elimination, and I was finding like, all right, I'm like, all right, I'm realizing it's now mid-October, we're getting some cold fronts. You can be deadly during these cold fronts. I need to like go find buck. They're not just going to show up in front of my cameras at this point. Um, it's not that time of year where that happens. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with waiting for the rut. It's a, it's an amazing time to kill big deer, and that's where I've killed pretty much all my deer in the past. Um, but I was like, there's opportunity here in this middle part of the month that I'm just missing out on and i missed out on a private because we didn't really have the ag and we were pressuring it a lot because we'd have six seven guys hunting that one property and it almost seemed like there was more pressure there than there is on public when you right. get to a big thousands of acre piece you know what i mean yep so um i don't know which date it was i'm looking at a calendar here but like the week prior maybe it was a Sunday or something. I don't really know. Um, I was supposed to hunt with a buddy on the 17th because um, I had like a fall break there from school, the 15th, 16th, and 17th. 
uh, we were going to hunt uh, a day together and I really didn't have anything like we wouldn't have went hunting and I didn't scout or do anything. It would have been just like taking a guess. I felt like to myself. Okay. So that I can't do that. So I was crossing off areas. So what let, what left me was one ridge, um, one ridge. It had ag standing corn on two different sides of it, you know, thousands of yards away, but it had, you know, had some ag there, some food source. And this whole property is basically all red oak. Um, and it's just, a, just tough to key in on like a few trees that the deer like over, you know, those trees over there, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and they'll probably start feeding on acorns closer to where they're bedding. Um, but there was this one ridge that kind of stuck out to me. Um, and I had, you know, I had my mobile system with me. I run a saddle like you guys. Um, and I had that with me, sand sticks and my bow. And I had a little past experience, not with this whole end of this ridge, but the other end of the ridge. Um, and it's kind of a great, it starts off pretty steep if you start walking the ridge. And then it kind of teeters out and gets more gradual towards the point looking at the topo map and uh so i just started walking that bottom of the ridge and kind of working my way up that ridge towards that point where i felt like there could potentially be a buck bedding you know he'd have wind advantage off that point because we have predominant winds um out of the you know if you get a cold front out of the north but typically they're out of the um west blowing east yeah so if he was bedding on that point you know, you hear wind at their back. Um, he could either, and then he could either work either of those sides, depending on if it was more north or more south. But this ridge, the tip of the ridge was towards the east, so he could bet on the tip and have wind at his back. Um, so I was working that ridge or that side hill, and it was getting grad more gradual, and I could see, you know, paths, doe paths you know, deer paths coming off that towards the direction of that one ag field, thousands of yards away. Maybe they're just going for acorns. I don't know. Um, I think in hunting, you really don't have all your questions answered ever. Um, that's why we call it luck. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I was walking that side hill and, you know, I, I walked by some really fresh rubs that were only like a day or two old and some scrapes, but they just seemed, you know, like a young deer. They were maybe the, some of the trees are the size of my thumb and maybe a little bit bigger than that, some, but not much. I walked past that and then I eventually get up to one, um, a couple rubs that were probably a week or two old, um, kind of went by them because I was still thinking about maybe hunting. Right. That sign just didn't seem fresh enough for me. So I kept walking and I'm seeing deer paths cutting down off this ridge top, which you typically see, you know, coming off that they typically bed in higher elevations and feed off down the lower elevations. But I was walking and I, I came across like a rub about the size of, you know, a soda can, I guess you could say was the size of the, the tree. And the rub was, around like knee height and it was like shredded up pretty nice i was like okay well that's like the freshest thing i've seen i was like you know it kind of like stopped me there and made me think like 
is this buck coming out in daylight? Should I just hunt here? This is a precious sign I've seen. Um, I was like, no, nah, I better keep going. We're still not towards the high enough elevation that I feel like he's bedding. Right. And there's a faint trail I've been kind of like walking along and I saw that and I kept kind of walking that general direction and maybe, I don't know, a hundred yards later, here's this other rub about the same exact same size tree, maybe even the same type, I think, if I remember correctly. And that one was, you know, getting up there, belly button heights close to chest. Sometimes they say like the higher the rub, the bigger the deer. So it's starting to catch my attention. I'm like, man, this might be a big enough deer here to like, you know, maybe make a sit at this, this stuff like two, three days old. Right. Um, I was like, I'm still, I'm not even, I'm not even up to the upper third of this hill yet. Uh, I'm going to keep working on. So keep pushing up a little bit more, a little bit later, find another rub about the same size. I'm like, I'm just going to keep following this. I mean, we're heading up towards that point. Generally speaking, I'm just going to keep working on working this way up. So about the fourth rub I get to, there's a scrape there, which only has like a few leaves in it. And at that time, the leaves were dropping pretty heavily, so you knew it was fresh. And there was another rub there, about the same size as I've been finding. So I was saying it was about the same line, direction of travel, and it had to be the same buck in my opinion. And I had a camera with me, and I wasn't sure about how big this deer was. And I was kind of scouting for later in the week, not really to make a set that night. And the wind was kind of not working well for me at that point in time. It was kind of blowing up the ridge because um, it was out of the south. And I think it was just kind of like swirling. It was blowing off that ridge and like creating a vacuum and pulling back up the hill. Okay. Um, so I got to that scrape left the camera there and kept pushing up towards the point of that ridge. I really didn't make it all the way to the point point of that ridge. Um, but I came around, there was a transition, a little diversity change there. A lot of the oaks died off for whatever reason there. And there was a bunch of like birch saplings. And typically most of that ridge top is all just, um, mountain laurel pretty much or rhododendron yep. and red. So all these red oaks are dying off there and there was some diversity there and a lot of like birch saplings and it looked like a doe bedding I've previously seen um, on that same track, but in a different area and it was just loaded with does. And I, so I crossed up, there's like a little transition there, a break in those, those birch saplings. And I crossed through that part, part of the way and there's some deer trails through there and I, I bump a doe, a little one that was just kind of like, out feeding around and I kind of cross over and down that other side of that ridge and when I get back down to that other side there's a creek there there was a creek there and there was some more buck rubs there was some scrapes and now I'm working that creek back back that ridge seeing what's there and there's some rubs scrapes in there nice sized rubs and I was like, all right, well, this area definitely has, like, those rubs are working up towards this point. There's rubs back on this backside of this point, kind of, sort of. And I was like, there's got to be bucks working up here. Either it's because of the does or it's buck bedding. Like, really, it doesn't matter to me. I just know bucks are generally using this area. Right. Um, so I worked back and then uh, hung a camera down there on that backside and also in that transition too. Um, 
and I worked back, you know, and headed out. And that was just kind of the end of my scouting mission. I mean, I worked on that next ridge over, like down and up that other side, and found some buck sign over there. Um, but and it, some of it was fresh. I actually kicked up two bucks. That was going to be my next question: was how many how many deer did you kick up on that trip? Um, so it was that one doe up top, and then I went down that backside and up the other side, and I think I um maybe like two three doe and a buck on that other side and the other buck i couldn't see how big he was and it was like past the ears i didn't really know what it was and there was some fresh sign over there but i just felt like the way those that rub line was leading up to that point and those um rubs and scrape on the other side i just felt like they were more using they were using that side more right um just an educated guess on my part pretty much um but anyways i i I got out of there and as i was busting through back over that first ridge i came up um i found some more really fresh buck rubs like up to my chest on like a mountain laurel and actually a ladder stand was only like 40 yards away from it (laughs) but so and that's the one thing i think a lot of people get you know paranoid when they see other people's you know tree stands and stuff um but uh and maybe they pop them up once they see the the sign there but i'd say trust your gut if the deer is showing sign in an area don't worry about that stand that maybe was put up two weeks before the season because new deer could have moved in i think october is a very is a month of transition like late september yeah. to mid-october is, is, is like it's four weeks there's a lot going on in the deer woods as far as Oh yeah. Change goes. I mean, bucks shedding velvet, food sources changing, increased pressure from people. Um, so I'd say trust your gut when it comes to finding sign. Don't worry about, you know, other hunter sign unless it's like fresh, like somebody just went up a tree with a climber and you can see that the bark's rubbed off. I mean, that would be the exception. But uh, I find trail cameras, ladder stands all over the place, and uh, and I'll actually touch on that after I I, I kill my deer. I'll, I'll say something about that. Picking a spot, um, I have I use Onyx a lot. Um, this ridge it had a lot of a lot of the same elevation. It was like a gradual slope out to that point. So you have all your um, topo lines. So you have the topo lines running in forming the shape of the ridge okay so you got let's say like you have the point of a ridge it's kind of making a sea of topo lines around that point yep um and then if you're looking at and then it's also gradually sloping down to that so you've got um your topo lines all looking about the same and then there was like two or three that kind of like spaced out a little bit more than all the others and then it just went back to that normal like line 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 and uh so using the, that that rub line that was working up towards that point, that transition I walked, and there was like some good trails um, using that. I kind of went off off that transition line exactly, um, but on one of those where it kind of like opened up a little bit right. with those lines. Because and I've seen it before where you have all the same topo lines. If there's like a gradual change, and then if it like they they spread open those deer just tend to like use that as 
Um, just a little bit, they're tempted to use that as travel a little bit more, just kind of similar to the extreme of deer going to, you ever, if you walk along the a ridge top, you're going to have a deer trail right along the ridge top, right along the edge, because they'll follow that instead of walking the side hill the whole time. Same with at the bottom, you'll have typically a deer trail right along the bottom of the ridge. Do you right. guys see that as well? Oh, yeah. Yep. 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 So I saw those topo lines were all the same and then it kind of spaced out for two or three of them and then you had a bunch more topo lines that were back to the norm so i figured they were in that area and based on where i was finding those rubs on the back side and they're only kind of like in that one area um like down in that back side because as i walked out like back the way i came on that opposite side of that ridge there wasn't really much for sign the further I got. Um, so I kind of picked the spot in there about, six, you know, 50, 60 yards off that last topo line on that backside of that ridge because I looked and the wind was supposed to be out of the uh, north, what would it be, northwest or maybe it was a west-northwest uh, for that Saturday. Uh, so I wanted to be close enough to that edge that my scent would either blow over the deer with some uh, uh, thermals rising, because it was supposed to be sunny, that they wouldn't catch me if something went behind me. I mean, they might hit my um, walk-in trail. But um, I picked about 60 yards off that upper elevation, that if something was just following that ridge, that I could catch them. And I assume that they'd be using that uh, diversity of, you know, all that birch brush and, and sapling. I figured bucks would be cruising that backside with a north wind, that backside of that ridge. More so than the front, plus a lot of those trails coming down off that ridge originally that I saw heading to the corn. And there's also acorns down there and such um, that I felt like they'd be working up from those that main ag source hundreds of yards away or those acorns and working up that hill and as far as access go I, I went up and over that ridge early like way like hundreds of yards from that point and even though my, and I was fine with my wind was blowing like towards in the bedding towards that point but I was hundreds of y- yards away if anything I was I would be stacking that bedding towards that tip okay um, so I came up that ridge back down that far side, then walk the bottom of that far side of that ridge all the way out and climbed in that back side um, right against. So I climbed in, it was about daylight as I was climbing and I thought I heard stuff. So it took me, it was almost like an hour after daylight. till I was like fully set up and just like waiting for deer. Right. Um, and so it was about nine o'clock. Wind was cooperating pretty much. A lot of times I use milkweed. I'm just like dropping milkweed pretty constantly. But um, I could tell the thermals were, it was a sunny day. Um, thermals were cooperating. I dropped milkweed and it kind of just drift up behind me. Um, so I kind of stopped checking it for a while. Um, but it felt like it was more out, of, more directly out of the west to start the morning and then switched and it was more just straight out of the north. I could be wrong on that, um, but I have a theory. It was n- 9 o'clock. I had a little uh, five-pointer come up just the way I kind of planned. He came up 
probably somewhere near that transition, but came up that far side. I couldn't really see him. And he kind of loops in front of me in the thick of the birch sapling. He's 45 yards. I could barely see him. Um, so I, I kind of wonder how many deer I missed that morning. <laughs> just not being able to see in there. Yep. But he worked through and I could catch little parts of him and he, and he worked out um, back towards the rest of the ridge. Um, so that was 9 o'clock. And then 10, 10.30, I was uh, just, I, I was hungry, I was eating a sandwich, and all of a sudden I hear like something snap to the right of me. And I look, and here's this buck just kind of like real, just walking real slow, but I like made a glance at him. And I was like, oh, 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 I was like, this is a buck, this is a buck. And if you guys see pictures, he's he's got some non-typical points going on. So I saw on his left side, he had like kind of looked like a turkey foot. He had his main beam and then like two others, like right towards that tip. He looked and then I glanced at his right side quick and he had like at least four or five points or something I could see. So it didn't take long. I was like, all right, shooter, shooter. So uh, I put, and he's like, already almost within range I don't, I don't really know what he would have been at like 45 yards or something um and he's working in behind me and i know and you have to be conscious when you walk in in the morning whether it be gray light or dark you have to remember where you walk especially if a deer is going to get that you know down your um downwind of you or walk that path because you have to know when to stop them or when to make the shot if you're going to shoot them um so he's working behind me i i sit down my sandwich and he kind of like stops and looks at me and i'm like not directly at me but my direction i'm like you did not hear that <laughs> i was like you could not have picked that out and me sitting that down that quietly but yeah, he kind of like stopped his, his cadence and slow walk there and looked. I was like, you, I just messed this up. My head started going the other way. But so then I, he started taking a couple more steps. And at this point, I'm not looking at him anymore. I'm just listening to him step like walk because I'm trying to grab my bow and and make this turn because I'm in the saddle. It's, it's going to be like a drop shot, they call it. Yep. So it's at my six o'clock. So I still hear him walking. I'm not looking at him. I have my bow and I start to turn. And I start catching him again, like out of the my peripheral, him working through. And I really don't know where my wind is going, but I'm just trusting that the thermals are rising enough at this point in time since it's 1030 in the afternoon. Bluebird skies. It's very light wind that day. Um, and I haven't checked in in a while, but I can kind of tell it's blowing out of the north, kind of right behind me kind of where i walked in at um so now he's like i kind of range him a tree there's a tree at like 27 yards he's working by it and i don't want to get him i, I don't want him to get past my six o'clock to like seven or eight because he'll probably hit my ground scent that i walked in on so right at about six o'clock he, he i draw back he clears a tree, and I don't even remember. I was just so in the moment. I don't remember if I stopped him or not. If he stopped on his on his own time, but he was quartered away, and I pulled the shot off. He, he, I'm watching him. He barrels. He, you know, hooks it hard back, 
and down over that backside of that that ridge and you know at that point you're all, you're like all shooken up and I'm I'm starting to call all my friends all <laughs> like right off the bat after I see him disappear and when I when I made the shot I heard that like diaphragm I thought was the diaphragm breaking you know you ever hear that oh, yeah. yep. so I heard that sound I didn't really see the arrow hit him but I heard that sound and I know like I felt the shot pulled off real nice I had all my my three anchor points I was like I was good to go I was in the moment not like I, I, I tend to like get a little flustered in that moment, black out a little bit, but I, I was definitely more focused and like calm at that time. And, uh, so he pulled out of there and I called all my friends and my dad and, you know, told him everything. Him being on his feet at, at 1030, wh- why do you think that he was still kind of up on his feet and moving around, you know, why do you think he was a little bit late getting back to his bed that day? You know, do you think it was the the temperature? Do you think maybe he was, you know, had some pre-rut activity going on? You know, is, is it maybe that the food source that he's trying to reach is a little further away and it might take him longer to get to his bedding? Why do you think he was on his feet, especially at that time? Um, so this is just a philosophy, but this weekend I went in and checked that camera I had on the scrape, um, which I, there's another shooter that turned up there, but he was on that scrape three days, um, all nighttime pictures. Um, I had a camera in that transition, but it was pointed down a little too much. We walked by it with my deer when we were packing it out and it didn't even show up on there, but there was some other deer. I think the, the strings just got loose. And then on the camera on the backside, I really didn't have anything on that, but, uh, I also kind of like, I was moving some cameras around this past weekend in that area. And, uh, I found a bed. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I, I, I guess I'll just explain it. There was a bed on the backside of that ridge. So when I got down, I'll start there. When I got down and went over to look at my arrow, I looked on the trail he was going and there was about the, you know, I was saying about those, soda can sized rubs. Yep. There was one that, I mean, if you took a picture of, I think I found five rubs that all looked very similar to that one there. And like another one on the other side almost looked identically to each other as far as like height. And just the way the, the bark was like shredded on the tree, they almost looked identical. Um, so there was a trail that heading, that trail he was on heading towards that rub. And then also on that backside of that ridge, not from not far from where I set up at, there's I had presume is a buck bed. There's a rub. There's a big rub there. Like I don't know, the trees five six five six inches, and there's that tree rub a bed right there on the edge of that ridge. And then there's another like littler tree also rubbed, and they're all within like five yards of that bed. Okay. So my thought is, um, I felt like that wind in the morning was originally blowing more towards off that point. So I wonder if he bedded down maybe before daylight or after daylight, but maybe he bedded early. And you you ever hear guys talk about a wind switch and the buffs move during a wind switch? Yep. I would presume that that's why he was moving at 1030. Not really for does. His tarsal glands were not non-existent. I mean, the glands are there, but they're not like dark 
they weren't even like light brown or anything like he would have been rutting and chasing does around and any of those pictures at night um he was by himself the one time i mean as far as the frame could see he was by himself the one time and then the other time he was with two other bucks that were smaller but he wasn't messing with those at that point in time to my my knowledge and i think he was just switching to that bed there i found this past weekend when i was checking cameras and, and looking at things what I what I like about that is that you are still out going out scouting and able to kind of piece that together because now, I mean, that sets you up even for future hunts as far as whether you're, you know, hunting PA or, or other states. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, now you talked about it too, how you didn't have him on camera like at all and you used what was the fresh sign kind of going in hunting with your buddies and setting up because I think what a lot of people and, and what's really cool is right now there's there's been a couple new podcasts coming out within the last couple of weeks about not overthinking um, mm-hmm. and that was something where you kind of you explained it you're like now nah, I'm just going to keep pushing I'm just going to keep going I'm just going to keep going um, until you found that right area and, and then you go in and you set up and you know, 1030 comes and here he comes. And, you know, I, I love that you're able to piece that together of it probably was that the wind switch, you know what I mean? I, I would, I'd kind of agree with that just because of how you said, now you're able to piece things together and say, Hey, my nighttime pictures, because of what I picked up on frames, he was still with other bucks. You have the tarsal glands. You're able to piece that together and learn that that's huge in my books, as far as like teaching yourself, teaching other hunters, um, but man, what a cool, what a cool story about him. And you had zero knowledge of him going into that hunt at whatsoever. No. And another thing, like I was saying earlier with seeing other hunter sign or tree stand. So he ended up dying about 30, 40 yards from there's a tree stand there that, I mean, it looks like somebody definitely uses it. I don't know about this year, maybe set it up for gun season. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like an old stand that was like just fused with a tree or anything like that. Um, and I feel bad for that guy when he goes to use that stand because <laughs> <laughs> there's a carcass there. But uh, yeah, um, if I maybe if I would have seen that, um, I still think I, I probably would have still hunted that pretty close to there. Um, maybe I would have moved a little bit further away from that. I don't know. Um, definitely that was the sweet spot there with that rub line. And then there was rubs and scrapes on the backside. I was almost directly up from those almost right now. Uh, now, could you just to talk a little bit about Logan where, you know, Dimitri and I, where we're hunting here in, in, in central Pennsylvania as well, like just outside of state college area, you know, there's times where we'll see multiple tree stands where we're kind of going to and like how we use that philosophy of trying to get where people aren't or, Hey, we're, where do new, uh, we know people usually hunt. So we kind of go where we think deer will be traveling to get away from them. Uh, so we kind of use that philosophy to help us. And the one thing that we've noticed this past year so far has been that we're, it's almost been non-existent as far as signing goes and they are lower by the, where the houses are on, on private that, you know, butts up against the public land and where they're kind of going to their, their food source. Um, you know, has now that you are your second year, 
you know, quote unquote, hunting that public land. And like you said, you're trying to get where people are not. Are you diving into like a particular distance or are you just going where the sign tells you to go? Uh, and were you saying, um, uh, were you saying that the stands are close to where the private is or you think your sign is? It's, it's, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you could be walking somewhere and be like, there's a stand there. You know what I mean? You kind of just like laugh. It, it, it's, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it's, it, it, it literally uh, 75, <laughs> 75 yards from the gate. You know what I mean? Just something oh. so random. Um, but I mean, they're all over like that. I mean, you could, we could be traveling, you know, uh, just a mile in and still not see any sign and then boom, there could be a ladder stand or, you know, we find mm -hmm. a really good spot where we think we're away for people. And, you know, somebody has a ladder stand and, and, and again, that's, that's great. And that's, that's awesome. People are out doing that. And we're just trying to find like the freshest sign that we can, but we're just, right now the freshest sign that we have been seeing as far as on public and like we're the core area where i say we hunt has been lower where the food source is um and close to the private houses just because that butts up against the public and i just think right now they're 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 feeling more safe in that area and they have the ability to hey we don't have to travel very far because we we could go in these yards and eat and then we go right here in bed you know what I mean? And it's just a revolving cycle for them right now. I'd say topography, even that morning when I walked in there to get to set up in that spot, um, it's, it's really brutal. I mean, I'd say, and my dad hiked up in there. I mean, you could get in there the easier way. And I feel like I might've messed up that hunt. I don't know how he entered that, that point of that ridge. Um, but there's a lot of steep terrain that I hunt. And my dad hooked it in there. Um, it was pretty, it was deep. It was, uh, over a mile, I'd say. And, uh, and he, one comment he made, he's like, guys, my age can't even get in here. Like to do this on their own. I mean, I guess they could call up their, their, their sons or whatever yeah. they're around. He's like, not everybody's even going to want to do this or, or, or can do this physically. Like they, they'd have a heart attack or something. And like that morning I, I hiked in there. Um, my, I crossed the Creek and my feet got soaked. Luckily I packed extra, extra socks. Um, it wasn't, I tried to, it wasn't a pleasant hike in there. I try to make it more enjoyable because it was, I mean, I was in there. I mean, it, it was like 1.65 miles uh -huh. for me to get into that location. Um, and I'm not always, and I see Facebook posts, I commented on this the other day on a, the Pennsylvania, you know, hunting Facebook page, I forget what it, it's exactly called, but somebody was asking for like, where do you find deer on public land or, or what's your best advice for hunting public land? And every answer on that was go deep, go deep, go deep, go deep, go deep, go deep. Like the whole feed was go deep basically. And I'm like, if everybody says to go deep, why isn't everybody bumping into everyone? Maybe that's because, <laughs> like, I was like, and they talk about overlooked spots. And to me, I'd rather, like, if I think it's almost enjoyable. And I love hunting and love trying to kill big deer. Like, if it's 
tough for me and not enjoyable for me to do it, I think there's going to be very few people going to those places. And also, you pick up little information. Like if you park, so I parked at a parking lot. Well, I was walking my deer out a couple different times. Well, that, that time. In the morning, I talked to guys that morning, and they kind of told me generally where they were going. Then when I walked my deer out, those guys said, oh, they kind of told me where they were, you know, out this, out this road, out, you know, this direction. Um, some guys were using bikes to get, get in there deeper. Um, you kind of listen to and pick up where you can be like, all right, these guys are typically going there. Um, so just like little cues like that, you know, walking across you know, those creeks, uh, you know, my feet got wet. I was trying to hop across. Um, not that it was that deep. Um, but I don't know. I'd say distance and topography change, elevation change. I'm usually not too close to the parking lot, but late season, I was surprised. There was a big buck that was only a quarter mile from the parking lot. And I actually drove to the, down to this other parking lot um, this past weekend when I was scouting to see if anyone was in there. Um, and there was zero trucks parked at that parking lot, but there was five trucks parked at this other parking lot that I was parked at. And that morning that I killed my buck, there was six different vehicles there that I saw. There could have been more. Right. Um, two when I was about to head in, and then there was more there when I, when I was driving away. That morning I killed or that, and it took me six hours to get out. It was like two thirty. There was trucks there, but uh, I don't know. It, I don't. I think you have to. What should I say? Uh, and where did I find sign this weekend? Um, so there has been a lot of guys hunting out this road deep, and they kind of like told me. And if you go to that other parking lot and walk in around a couple hundred yards from where you assumably think those guys are hunting. They had a picture of a, a nice um, nine-pointer. So they're going to be pulled into that spot, pressuring that area and pushing deer out of there. You know, I think access is a thing um, that can help you out as far as, you oh, know, yeah. once you hear. I, I think that's just, one of the most overlooked things about, you know, public land hunting is is just that access of, of where are you entering, where are you exiting out from. Um, mm-hmm. and it could go for, it could go for you or it could go against you big time. Um, yeah. you know, I, like I said, I know on Saturday evening, the hunt that I was on, uh, I was set up pretty good. I had a pretty good win. And, uh, you know, obviously this muzzle loader rifle thing was in this past weekend and I had two hunters kind of going back to uh, that private land camp. Cause like I said, I was kind of right smack dab in a little corner of on, on public where I was surrounded by by private land. Um, and Mm -hmm. I, I was surrounded by a good amount of deer and, and I heard, I heard a grunt call. Um, and I put up my binos. I was trying to pick out the buck because there was a lot of deer in this timber and I couldn't find him whatsoever. And the next thing you know, it, there was some doe in the field that was on private next to me. I don't know if another hunter was coming or, or just what my wind, I don't think was swirling by any means and just kind of just mm-hmm. trotted back to like where the deer came from. And yeah. another one followed suit and all the one, 
all the deer that were in the timber just basically went back straight ahead from me uh, where I was facing in the saddle uh, and it was going right back on the private private property and when I finally put up my binos I saw a doe and right behind her when she put her head down was a really nice nice deer I couldn't make out exactly what he was because of other branches and um, I mean it was kind of the limits of what my binos was able to pick up as well and then next thing you know, they just all kind of like were gone. Uh, there had been mm-hmm. like three more that three young little doe that were still left in the field just kind of went off in the private uh, timber as well. And uh, five minutes later, I looked to my left on top of the ridge. Uh, there were two hunters in their orange walking back to to that camp. And so again, I don't know if something spooked them, if they heard something that I just did not hear just because I was caught up in a moment filming these deer or whatever. Um, but yeah, something, something spooked them. And again, like here are these guys just walking back to their camp just, and that went against me as far as their, that exit strategy for them kind of screwed me. But I mean, I think that is one of the most underlooked uh, pieces of the hunt. And it's just that, like you said, I liked how you talked about it, where I, that deer needed to get to that six o'clock and not pass it because he could have picked up my ground scent. Like that's a really big key aspect that people don't necessarily think they just want to go get set up and and just hunt which is fantastic but there's that little the game of inches you know what i mean and that's that's part of it and uh that's something where you know that's something where i i've been trying to get better at so that's a that's Mm -hmm. a good key piece that that you talked about um because man i i just think that's a lot of people out there that you know want to develop and grow as a hunter that's one piece that that is definitely for sure it could help people out yeah i'm i that was so I mentioned I went 1.65 and I'm not, I'm not bragging about that, but I could have made it a lot shorter trip and a lot easier and used the softer side of that ridge instead of climbing up the steeper backside to get to that spot. And maybe I never would have seen that here because maybe he was hanging out on that other side of that ridge working up to that point or something like that. Like you really never know unless you, you, you know, like, I don't know. You really never know if you did it right or not, yeah. but you can always assume. And did you mention, um, so one thing about me and you were talking about, you know, trying to get away from other people. One thing I don't do is hunt and maybe it's a bad thing and maybe I could increase my odds if I did, but I do not hunt like common. I wouldn't say common, but I feel like this, did you say you were hunting a saddle? No, I, w- I was hunting like from my saddle. Oh, saddle. Okay. Because one thing like, y- you know, hunting saddles in those locations get pounded so hard on forums or podcasts. And it's just like, I, I like, I never hunt saddles just because it, it seems to be the talk of like how deer move through an area. And if it's on public land and you can see a saddle on looking at topo maps, so does everyone else looking at it. It like sticks out like a sore thumb and so do other terrain features. But uh, I think I find my best um, bucks or best spots just based on walking the ground and finding subtle changes in vegetation or topography. Um, and I know there's other better sources. Um, what is it? Uh, Cal Topo is a great source if you're looking for uh, a website to look at topo maps. It's so much better than 
um, Onyx. Um, that, I use that a lot. Shows. I mean, you can get it down to changing elevation like every five feet or something like that. Insane. So you can see the, all the like little nitty changes. Um, but I found some of my best spots just walking the ground and it doesn't really show it on a on maps. Like I found water holes that don't really show up on maps unless you really know where that water hole already is. Right. I've found soft transition areas. That's where I'm finding my one target buck this year. He used it the most last year out of any other deer. He was like the only one on that camera, but you really can't see it on other maps. I just happened upon it uh, scouting um, with another spot. And there's another one I have in mind at the end of a doe bedding area. It's a great doe bedding area along this higher elevation. Um, but this spot where I picked up a lot of bucks during the rut, I mean, just like daily, they're going through there like crazy. Um, it's, I mean, you would never know it's there unless you didn't put boots on the ground. Right, like, right. You can't see it on anything. And I think that can be one method to get away from people. Um, yeah, it's not easy. But, uh, but if you want to invest the time, I think that can definitely pay off. Um, instead of just looking at maps all the time, even though that's a great place to start. And I wouldn't say not to start there. Um, I, when... I guess I'll go into a little bit just briefly. I look at topo maps, regular um, satellite maps of properties first, and I'll pick out a bunch of interest points like all over the place, whatever catches my eye. And then I'll just bounce from one interest point to the next, to the next, to the next. And you're crossing stuff that don't show up, doesn't show up on the map, but has the potential to be good. Like you just kind of stumble upon it. And I think those spots that you stumble upon sometimes are better than what you can see from a map. I, I just, I think it makes it easier when you enjoy it. Um, I sent you, I kind of told you I was out scouting the other night and you were like still grinding or something like that. And like, it almost doesn't even feel like that to me. Yep. Um, no, I think it probably would feel more like grinding if I was still trying to shoot a buck, I guess. Certainly. Um, you, you know, you always feel that weight lifted off you when that happens. But the off season is never not really a grind for me. It's just my my number one hobby. So it's kind of what I what I go to. <laughs> yep. Just get get outside and, and and go look for deer. And where where could the next one be? Uh, you know, where could the next one happen? I I, I that's awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. Now yep. now. We gave everyone a little bit of a cliffhanger there and got a little off topic, but so you shot the deer, you thought the the shot, the hit was good. You, you started mm-hmm. calling your, your friends and, and your dad. I mean, was there any time and while you're waiting, did you, did you have any self doubt that you didn't see him go down? He kind of ran over the, it, the edge. So kind of take us through that process of after you called everyone, maybe you started getting down or you're kind of finished that sandwich that you're halfway <laughs> way through while, while you saw them kind of take us through that process. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't really see the shot. I thought I heard the diaphragm break. And another thing I picked up on was uh, when he barreled around hard. So he was quartering away. His right shoulder was closest to me. And I, and I put it back cause he was quartered away. I, you know, towards that middle of the body cause it would hit, kind of that far side shoulder so when he barreled around he showed me that left side 
and he was had it, he was holding it like he wasn't using it. He was running on the and he ducked over the ridge, and I could hear stuff, and then all of a sudden it went quiet. But I didn't really hear like a crash, so I didn't know if he just kind of get out of range, and I couldn't hear him anymore or what. Um, and I was just gonna go, so I just took my time getting down, talked to you know some people. It was probably about thirty minutes till I got down. Got down, got my bag packed up, all my gear, and walked, you know, walked over to the see if I could find the arrow or what, what what I could find there. And I didn't find my arrow in the beginning. I never found my arrow. But uh, it was a little tough to find blood at first, uh, which had me worried. But the little blood I did see uh, looked like lung blood. You know, it had the bubbles um, in it. And so I just, you know, took my time working over to that edge, peeking over to that edge. It kind of knew which way he went. Um, it wasn't much to the track job, you know, there wasn't a lot of blood, but I could tell it was like a, at least a long shot and it sounded like it hit diaphragm. So I was feeling pretty confident. Um, so I was working down over that edge now and I was going to be like, if I get to the bottom and I still can't like find them, like if I got two lungs, which I feel like I did, you should be no more than at the bottom of this, this other side of this ridge. Somewhere I worked over the bottom that side of that ridge a little bit and um there wasn't much after i mean there's not much to the story there he was laying and i could not believe my eyes i didn't really <laughs> i could not believe how big he was um the, ma the mass on the, i mean just uh, the size of him was it was super super impressive but man the the yeah. mass on the on the headgear was just so so awesome yeah, he uh, the inside spread was 20 inches, I think. Um, a guy measured it then that day. Uh, but yeah, I was just <laughs> he was shocked. a hammer man. I didn't know what I saw. Like I knew he had some something non-typical going on, and I kind of guessed. I was like, oh, he's at least like a nine pointer or something. But just he's just more than I ever expected to walk <laughs> up on it. My second year of public land. Oh my God. Well, I think, my too, uh, dude, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think too, what people, I mean, I think the cat's out of the bag that you can really shoot a really nice, mature public land deer. I mean, that, that is obviously I think out there. And I think that was the, maybe a few years ago, you know what I mean? Like five, six years yeah. ago, people would be like, Oh, you can't shoot anything bigger than whatever. Um, you know, in, in some places, some deer don't get that big just because of whatever reasons, you know, maybe it's the, the food maybe it's the hunting pressure, whatever. Um, but mm -hmm. there are pockets where you could shoot a very amazing mature deer, uh, on public land and you are two for two on that one. Yeah. I, I was lost for words. I was like, I was, <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. Yep. No, man, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for you. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just think it's, it's really, really neat to, to be close to home. And, uh, man, I just, that, that, what a, what a slob. I mean, that is a true, yeah. true, beautiful mountain buck of, of central Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I like even in the picture with all the rocks, you know what I mean? That's just the, the terrain that we hunt in. And, um, I, I just, yeah, when I, when you posted posted that one, or like, what did I do this morning? I was like, holy shit! <laughs> when I saw that yeah. one, 
Yeah, I can believe it. And <laughs> oh, back to the uh, the shot placement. So I think it, it went in like one of the last ribs, and it actually broke through the shoulder plate of the left side. Okay. And I, I should have found the arrow in the ground. I didn't. Um, but yeah, I was impressed. I mean, pass. I assume it was a pass through. I, I couldn't find the arrow, but um, yeah. I shoot. I mean, now the hype uh, nowadays is like heavy arrows. You guys, oh yeah, see that on yeah. Yeah, you guys shoot heavy arrows. So I'm shooting. Um, I have a five fifteen grain. Mine's five hundred fifteen. Dimitri's at four, like four forty four. Yeah, he's like so just a little bit lighter. Yeah, sub four fifty yeah. is is where he's at. Yeah, I'm at four forty, and I'm not a big. You know, I'm not a bow guy or know much about arrows, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess there's like the Ashby project that says about, I never really looked into it. Um, maybe you've heard of it, you know, Ranch Ferry, um, also Ashby project about talking heavy arrows, but I shoot an iron wheel, fixed blade, um, you know, to enter that back and go basically through most of his body and break the shoulder, the shoulder blade on that left side says more than enough about the setup. I feel like. Yeah. Now for, for that, for your iron will, are you running like the hundred grain or are you doing just like their standard or are you doing like the extra wide? Um, I just had the vented. That's what I started with. That was before they even came out with the wide. Um, yeah, I've shot, I shot my last shot three deer with it three or four i think he was my fourth uh, you know that last last year's public land buck um he was at like 10 yards and there he just opened up like it was not even a problem and that is a smaller cutting diameter um and i probably if i had to choose again um i don't know i I'd, I'd probably go with the wide would i go vented or solid there is a little whistle you can hear uh-huh but that deer was, I don't think that deer really ducked or maybe did. I don't know. And I think that's partially why I didn't get, um, you know, a lot of blood because the, en- the entrance and exit was pretty high. Like if he hit, if it busted through his shoulder plate uh, blade on that left side, that's the exit. It entered higher than that on his right. So it was a higher shot. Um so maybe if, if it was down more in the cavity that I would have had more blood because I didn't have a problem with blood last year. Um, but I think the two holes in a deer is what you want. Um, at least that's my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dimitri, he had a, a nice shot on his, though. I mean, he was using the our sev- the Sever mechanical broadhead, the new 2.0, mm-hmm. and got a nice pass through. And that was the issue you know, with the 2.1s that, you know, you weren't getting like a max penetration with that. And, um, they redesigned it basically. And, and with that, I mean, he just blew through that dough. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was pretty, pretty massive cut, yeah. you know, on, especially on that, that exit. And she only ran what 20, yeah. maybe 30 yards max yeah, before I, I saw her tip over. So, you know, it just makes a huge, huge difference to get that that exit wound, yeah, you know, for sure. especially for tracking. Yeah. No, if I've, guys are only yeah. getting in there, not getting a pass through, I think they definitely should take another look at their whole setup yeah. and make some changes. I agree. That shouldn't I agree. Happen at 
call. I agree. I mean, that, Our buddy Bill from Partner Outdoors, I know he shoots Iron Will. Yeah. I even, I'd actually just sent one out to a buddy. I don't really know him that well personally, but uh, he was interested in the Iron Will and I kind of trust him. He seems like a good guy. I have a case of Iron Wills here and he was interested in them. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll send you one out. You can send it back to me. I highly doubt you'll be able to break the thing. Like if you should be here. <laughs> yeah. So he, he said he'd send it back to me at the end of the season. You just sharpen them up like I did that before the season. The only one downside is, which I don't think they can really help it, um, is there, I think they're made out of A2 steel. So it does rust faster than most broadheads. But, uh, you, you know, you can buff them out a little bit, you know, sharpen them up um, and put uh, mineral oil on them or Vaseline. And that the Vaseline and mineral oil helps them last a little longer. Right. Uh, just something to throw out there. Awesome, man. Well, dude, what what else uh, do you have going on for this season? You hunting any uh, any more doe coming up and stuff? Yeah, I've uh, two doe tags. I'll uh, just stick around here on private because we have a bunch. It's not like we have a shortage of deer. Um. It was even tempting. I guess my neighbor saw like a 140, 150, and he usually shoots a big one every year. And he said he saw that heading towards our my parents' private land. But I just I just wanted to get one on public this year, and I'm glad I did. Um, but as far as I'm doing my first out-of-state trip this year to West Virginia. Oh, nice. Uh, Mid-December, me and two other guys, um, we're going to go about five days. We haven't really set exact date uh, but mid-december their rifle season will close up a few days prior to that and uh i was going to look at the monongahela national forest down there um but you know they have you can get shoot two buck in that state um if you want um but they also have bow only counties so and I've reached out and trying to do a little research. I was been already looking at Onyx a lot. Um, and I've been reaching out to guys that I know have been down there. Um, you know, uh, I think Chad with Exodus has been down there. There's a mountain hunter on Instagram. He shoots a lot of big deer down in West Virginia. I reached out to him and people that I answer, answer and help me out. Um, they didn't really give me any spots, but they all typically say go to the Bowenly counties. Yeah, um, which is pretty cool that they have that. I would think I would think it would be pretty cool if uh, Pennsylvania <laughs> Pennsylvania <laughs> would thrive on that. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm hearing you, man. And there's big deer. I mean, um, in those Bowenly counties, the one guy said he saw like he was there like 15 days through a whole season. I think he breaks it up in like two trips. Yeah. But he saw said he saw like. I don't know, like six Pope and Young or something like that. Over oh, I'm sure. In those Bowenly counties, and you know, your your distance is only forty yards, and it's uh, I guess it's like pretty tough terrain, rugged terrain down there, and it's tough to hunt them. So there's definitely some big deer, and that's what I uh, want to see. See how my skills are at out of state. That'll be the true test of the year. It won't be on the home ground with all this uh, postseason scouting under me and know the land very well but i guess i'll just be like hunting fresh sign and looking at food sources and i don't know hopefully i have some goals to shoot a pump and young down there maybe that's uh this 
not even possible. I mean, maybe it's possible, but maybe a little too high of hopes. But I also have two doe tags, and I'll probably just save that buck tag. And if I don't shoot a buck, I, I don't shoot a buck, but I'll give it my all for sure. Awesome, man. Sounds good to me. I, I love it. And best of luck to you. And definitely we'll be watching to see what happens on that one. Well, w- Logan, where could people find out about you and, and look you up on, on Instagram or wherever else? Um, pretty much. I don't have much on Facebook. Uh, my name's Logan Martz. Uh, but if you want to check me out on Instagram, it's Martzy24, so, so M-A-R-T-Z-Y-2-4 on Instagram and I just post a lot of hunting pictures on there and if you have any questions feel free to reach out i'll do my best to help and i always like talking hunting no matter what it is awesome man that i appreciate you coming on and uh yeah sounds good uh thanks for having me on i really appreciate it guys awesome well everybody thank you go check out logan and uh make sure you go check out the two awesome bucks that he's killed on public land this past year and uh you know just again someone that transitioned from hunting a lot of private to public and uh learning and 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 growing as a hunter so check him out and until next time antler up and that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you, Logan, for coming on, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to sharing that story with us and all your tactics and strategies that you have going in. I know we'll be implementing some of those too, just changing things up on our end. So thank you, everybody, for the support. If you like what you heard, please go leave a five-star review. It helps us out. It continues to grow. If you want to come on, be sure to uh, share a story with us. We'd love to have you on. So thank you, Antler Up.